The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning and welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Now, how many of you listening today have ever tried a glass or two or three of barefoot wine? Now, come on, raise your hands. Because while you might be familiar with barefoot wines, you probably don't know that the company started in a laundry room in a rented farmhouse in Sonoma County. And today we have one of the founders with us, Michael Houlihan, to talk about those early days how he and his co-founder, Bonnie Harvey, built the business and changed an industry. And I want to make sure that I get this in now, and I'll talk about it a couple of more times during the show, too. Michael and Bonnie are going to be here in Kansas City for two appearances on April the 30th. The first one's from 11 to noon at Johnson County Community College's Hudson Auditorium, and then again in the evening from 6 to 7 p.m. at the JCCC Culinary Theater. And again, both on the Johnson County Community College campus. The event is free and sponsored by the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization there, and it's also underwritten by the JCCC Foundation. As a bonus, the first 50 attendees are going to get a copy of the book, The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. And it's a New York Times bestseller, by the way. So if you uh, want to get a copy of the book and you're interested in hearing Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey speak, you need to get out there early to one of those uh, presentations. But welcome to the show today, Michael. So glad to have you here. Nice to be here, Kelly. So you started, like I said, in a laundry room in a rented farmhouse in California, in Sonoma County, heart of Wine County, but you didn't have any money. You didn't have any knowledge of the wine industry. And this is an industry, by the way, where they say if you want to make a million dollars, you have to stay, start with $10 million, and you didn't have any money at all. Why in the world did you go into the wine business? Well, actually, we fell into it backwards. We <laughs> didn't plan it. Everybody says follow your passion. We never followed our passion. What we followed was our opportunity passionately. And the opportunity presented itself because Bonnie, uh, who will be here shortly, uh, actually had a client who was owed about $300,000 for some grapes that were never paid for. Mm. And so uh, she came to me and said, maybe you should go talk to these people who own the bill and see if you can work something out. So I went and talked to them. It was a winery. They just declared bankruptcy, so it didn't look good for the home team. And uh, they were able, however, to give us bulk wine. That's that's wine, you know, in bulk, not in bottles. Right. And also bottle, bottling services. And so that's how we got started in the wine business, because now we had wine and bottling services. We had to sell it. We had to come up with a label. We had to come up with a program. Um, and, of course, we didn't know anything about wine. Right. Uh, we didn't even like wine. It was, it was <laughs> very uptight, you know. <laughs> well, and, and give us some perspective. Uh, when you say uptight, the period you're talking about, wine really was uptight. Was this was what the mid '80s? Well, it was from it was the mid '80s until the mid '90s. You know, a lot of people' life today uh, grew up with the benefit of fun wine labels, 
but Barefoot was the first fun wine label, believe me. Okay. It was about uh, 10 years to get the market to think that we were not a joke. Tell us about that label. First of all, how did you come up with the name Barefoot Wine? And then uh, tell us the story behind the label itself. I, I think that's a fun story. Well, Barefoot is the way that grapes were originally crushed. And uh, also, when you're barefoot, it's a recreational theme. You know, you're either at the beach or you're at the river. Uh, you got your shoes off in front of the fire. It's hard to be uptight when you're barefoot. <laughs> so we like that. I, we like the idea of getting barefoot and having a great time. Um, the wines were very snobby at the time, and we chose barefoot because it was about as far away from nose in the air as humanly possible. <laughs> was, the other was, end, was, right? <laughs> on the ground, not nose in the air. And so uh, we like the slogan. Uh, we, also, we also did some research in the marketplace, and the people who were the buyers for the large wine uh, retailers told us to come up with a name that was the same as the logo. So we thought, well, barefoot and a barefoot. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. they were the same. And the other thing is they said they wanted a label that could be read from four feet away, and the, and the foot is a symbol and an image that every human being knows and recognizes so they could certainly read it from four feet away. Right. So that's how we got started with that crazy label, yeah. Now, that is Bonnie's foot, correct? Well, here, I'll let her tell you. Okay, you there, Bonnie? Hello, I'm here. Hi, well, welcome to the show. Uh, Listen, I I want you to tell me the story of your label. Michael kind of set it up for you there, but you... Uh I guess you were pretty frustrated at some of the designs that were coming in, and I, I absolutely love the story it, of how you got the label because it, it's just so um, true of so many other things that entrepreneurs do. It's like, I just do it myself, and you'll just plant your foot. So so tell us that story. Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, I, I know Michael told you how we gathered ideas from a lot of different places, and it all kind of fell in together. Davis Bynum had a a label he called Barefoot Bynum, but it had been off the market for about 17 years, I think. And we really liked uh, the idea of using the barefoot for all the reasons that Michael already told you. So we uh, purchased the right to use the name Barefoot on wine from Davis Bynum, but we couldn't use his label because he had a foot at the bottom of the label and it was horizontal, and it really didn't have any life to it at all. I mean, you could just put a tag on the toe and send it back to the morgue. <laughs> so what did you so do about that? I said, we're, we're <laughs> so we put it up at an angle, so the toes were, were pointed up and at an angle, and it looked like it had action. It looked like it was stepping up and moving. And we were in a, I decided it would look beautiful to put the words barefoot right into the arch of the foot. Mm-hmm. So we did some rough drafts and sent those to our artist, and she came back, and the feet that she had in in the first rough draft were really kind of square and clunky looking. So I said, well, these will never do, and I called and talked with her, and she said, well, you're going to have to send me a picture. Uh, I can do anything if you just send me a picture. I said, well, where am I going to get a picture of a long, thin foot with a high arch? <laughs> it didn't take me long to figure out I had one right at the end of my leg. <laughs> So I asked Michael to go out and get the largest ink pad he could find, and he did that, and I put my foot in the ink pad and onto some artist paper and made some nice footprints and sent those off to the artist. And, well, that's how I got my foot on the fastest-selling 
wine brand in the nation. <laughs> well, yes, and the rest is history, so they say. All right, so that is your actual foot there on the wine label. Now, tell us about, let's go into the fun factor. You said that it took a long time, 10 years, for you to get the respect and the credibility within the in- industry that you know people, like you said, Michael, nose in the air sort of thing. What was it that finally uh, got people's attention that, uh, caused the industry players even to say, hey, this is a, a winery we better be paying attention to. Well, it was a combination of two things. Uh, one of them was that we got more awards than any other wine at our price point. So in order to offer a, a wine at that price, you know, $5 bottle of wine, gold medal winner, contest after contest across the United States, that got their attention. But what really got their attention, I think, more than anything else, is the fact that we were making sales. When the big boys wouldn't touch us because they didn't like the foot on the label, we sold around them. We went to the little boys. We went to little stores and independent uh, operations and and mama papas and restaurants and whatnot, and we sold it there, and they loved it, and it, it really took off in the small markets. And then big boys had to take it because they were missing the market share. Right, yeah. So it's just like anything in life. You know, you put a buck on it, and all of a sudden people find all kinds of reasons to agree with it. (laughs) (laughs) So when you started, you didn't have the knowledge. You didn't have any money in an industry that just eats money for dinner. So when you think about the past and you think about where you came from with this winery, do you think there were any advantages to being small and being broke? Oh, absolutely. It really turned out to be a blessing. Both a lack of funds and lack of knowledge create uh, innovation Yes. if you're going to succeed. So that's exactly what we did. We had to be creative. So we produced a product that was different in the marketplace. One thing, it had a humorous label. That was different. It was non-vintage. That was different. Yes. We created a non-vintage wine because uh, the female shopper who was the, our major market at the time was um, interested in a product that was consistent. She was buying a staple along with her groceries. So we were non-vintage. That was very different. And um, if we'd had knowledge about what we were doing, we wouldn't have created either of those things. <laughs> right. Another thing is we went out into the marketplace to see what the people in the areas where our wine was selling were interested in, besides a nice bottle of wine at a good price. turned out that they were doing community fundraisers, build a park for uh, the kids after school or clean up beaches and that kind of thing. So we started supporting those groups. Yeah, let's talk and, about and that for a minute. I believe that's what you called your um, cause marketing, your worthy cause marketing. Can you talk to us about that for a minute? Exactly, and we started Worthy Cause Marketing as a way of getting our word out members of the nonprofits and community fundraisers, and we did that because we didn't have funds for advertising. Mm-hmm. And um, it worked a lot better, I think, than advertising because it, in the 20 years that we had the product, we never paid for advertising. It was always just going into the marketplace and reaching out to uh, the members of the nonprofits and and the fundraisers. And we didn't just give them our wine, but we also gave them uh, our labor and helping set up and tear down and 
we'd also take their message and put it on tags on the necks of our bottles so we were able to get a nonprofit's message into the marketplace, which is an arena that uh, they don't have access to. So it worked out well for us and for the nonprofits and for the community. Yes. And that was all due to having no funds. <laughs> yeah. So so who knows what would have happened if you'd have had the money to uh, go the traditional route with the with the marketing. But, you know, that really accomplished three things with uh, – supporting the different causes you were you were getting the wine into the hands of these people that you were working with and into their constituents and audience and so there was and memberships so there was one thing right there and then when you talk about uh, you you not only gave the wine but you gave the labor well you established those relationships those people uh, saw you as a partner then and they were probably very happy to reciprocate with promoting you whenever they could and then third by putting a little thing around the neck the little tag around the neck a lot of people like to support organizations that do get involved in causes and so when they see that they think well you know when i support this winery i'm also supporting various causes i mean what a what a wonderful marriage of all of those different elements to come together to promote the brand Exactly. Imagine if we had money, we would have just thrown it at advertising. Exactly. Listen, I want to keep you right there. We're going to take a break. When we get back, I want to talk with you about your book. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You want real results. You want your efforts to count for something. And you don't have time to waste. We understand. That's why the Executive MBA program at Benedictine College is the program more than 400 alums say help them accelerate their careers and enhance their approach to management and leadership. You're ready immediately to contribute to your organization's success. We invite you to check out benedictine.edu slash EMBA to learn more about our program and what it has to offer. Your product outshines the competition, so why aren't you outselling them? You're meeting sales projections, but the bottom line just isn't what it should be. Technology is changing rapidly and impacting your ability to perform. Something needs to change, but you just can't put your finger on what. I'm Patrick Shore, your host at The Hut, where we tackle these and other issues. The Hut is a safe place where we can explore what it takes to not only stay in front of the competition, but make it irrelevant. So come on in, kick off your shoes, and join the conversation every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio Network. The Hut, your path to a stronger, thriving, profitable business. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're talking here this morning with the co-founders of Barefoot Winery and they're telling us their story, uh, Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. They're talking with us about how they fell into this, really, trying to help a friend out who was trying to collect on a debt. They had no money. They had no experience in winemaking. And they decided to do something totally different. Instead of the really fine wines and the snobby atmosphere that really accompanied wine drinking at the time, back in the mid-'80s through the mid-'90s, they wanted to have a fun brand, and so we've been talking about that. Now what I want to turn to is your book. You wrote a book, it's a New York Times bestseller, called The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. Why did you write the book? When we were running Barefoot Wine, all of our employees kept saying, you know, you guys have such a unique approach to business, and you have all these cute slogans for business processes maybe you should write a book. And they kept bugging us. Boy, they bugged us for years. And uh, we made some notes, and we thought about it. 
And uh, when we sold the business in 2005, during that period, uh, we had to uh, help them, as they say, keep the barefoot spirit alive in their organization. Mm. So we thought that was a pretty interesting term that they were saying that we were hired to keep the barefoot spirit alive. So we started thinking, well, what is the barefoot spirit? And of course, it's the spirit of entrepreneurship. Uh, it's the spirit of humanitarianism. Uh, it's the spirit of fun. And uh, it's also the spirit of uh, providing you know, a first-class uh, uh, American table wine, five to six dollar range that really uh, wasn't around. So we decided that uh, we would do that, and in the process, we took a lot of notes. Then we decided, well, heck, you know, a big recession hit the country, and yeah. we thought, geez, there's a lot of kids that are graduating from college right now. They're going to be looking at self-employment as maybe the only form of employment. Maybe we should give them a book you know, that's our experiences, and maybe they can learn from it. So uh, we sat down and we wrote a book, and uh, Bonnie, what happened when we wrote the book? Threw it right in the garbage. The first <laughs> book went right in the garbage. Why'd you do that? It wasn't any fun. Now, ah. how can you write a book about how you started a wine brand with a foot on it that wasn't fun? It had a lot of great business information, so we found an uh, we found a journalist that was award winning and he understood wine, Rick Cushman. He was the wine writer for the Sacramento Bee for a number of years, and he had a great sense of humor. <laughs> I'd read his book; he made me laugh, and he also communicated to the everyday person, just like Barefoot Wines did. So we were really happy with that, and he put our stories um, in short stories in the book that had a business lesson to them that were very entertaining, and uh, we thought this is really going to work well with the students. We've gotten excellent feedback from the students and the professors. Uh, the biggest compliment we got was from a student that said, this is the first business book I ever finished. Wow. <laughs> that is a compliment. <laughs> so, so really, this is more than just the story of the winery, as some people might think more than your memoirs. It is really the business lessons in a fun way that you took from it. What are some of the things that an entrepreneur can learn from reading your book? What are Give us a few of the highlights. Well, you know, it's all in story form, so there's no browbeating. There's no prescriptive lists. You're not going to go through this book and, mm -hmm. and find here's the three things you've got to do and the five things you never do, the 28 things your customer wants from you. It's not in there. However, if you want a, a seat-of-your-pants rocket ride behind the scenes of the so-called wine business that's full of laughs and thrills, this is your book. And in the process of going on that rocket ride, you're going to learn how we got around obstacles uh, and barriers that come into. And so you ride along with the proponents, and all of a sudden they're out of money. And uh, what are they going to do when they're out of money? But then you find out that the way that they treat the people that they owe money to makes the people they owe money to want to, want to give them more money. <laughs> That's a and first. You, you, find out, you find out that the way that they treat their employees makes them not want to quit so they don't have turnover. Mm -hmm. Then you find out that the way that they treat the general public is uh, in such a way that they get uh, long-term customer loyalty. So... Uh, 
one of the lessons you're going to learn right off the bat is start small. Make your mistakes in a small area so you don't have to run around the countryside with your hat in your hand apologizing to people. Mm-hmm. Another thing you're going to learn is uh, how to make mistakes right, and that's not, that's not uh, R-I-G-H-T as to correct a mistake so much as it is W-R-I-T-E, which is to write the mistake down and find out you know, what policies, procedures, checklists, uh, labels need to be changed so that your company is better for it going forward and how to create a positive culture in your company where people are not afraid to make mistakes. They don't think they're going to get fired. As a matter of fact, they think they're going to get celebrated. Yes. Wow, you did something we never dreamed possible, and now it's never going to happen again. So that creating a culture of permission, basically, is what you're talking about. Absolutely. It's, It's permission to have fun. It's permission to make mistakes. It's permission to be creative, and, what and it's I, also permission to take control. Yes, and what I like about that from what you're saying is that it's you're not just focusing on employees or customers or vendors. You're, you're talking about all of the people that you could have relationships with is creating that culture where uh, everybody has fun, where they're all a partner in this, you're all in it together, and what the results you're going to get are going to be dependent on all of you, not just one of you. I, I just I love that. Yes, it was real teamwork, and we had uh, an excellent relationship with everyone that we did business with. And that kind of relationship is so essential to success in businesses um, today and anyone that's starting a business. It's really something that you've got to know. A big part of it was put yourself in the other guy's shoes. Mm. No matter who the other guy is, put yourself in that other guy's shoes and see how does this situation look from their point of view and then give them what they need to do their job better, give them what they want, and help them in any way that you can, and they in return will be doing a better job for you. How has Barefoot changed the industry? How's it left its footprint, if you want to use a pun? How's it left a footprint on the industry? Well, for one thing, what Barefoot did is it made wine fun. It gave people permission because of its financial success to uh, actually have fun labels and to have fun with wine. So, you know, there's a myriad of labels out there. There's a lot of animal labels out there. The industry calls them roadkill. (laughs) (laughs) There's a bunch of uh, bakery items out there, you know. You could never do that in the early 90s. So that's one of the things that Barefoot did to the industry. The other thing that Barefoot did with the industry is it identified the majority of the white buyers, which happened to be mostly female. Mm -hmm. They have others with two kids, 37 years old who are looking wines that they can depend on. Right. So Michael Houlihan, Bonnie Harvey, the founders of Barefoot Wine, and they also are, um, they've written a book, co-written a book, The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. They're going to be in Kansas City on April the 30th for two appearances, 11 to noon at Johnson County Community College's Hudson Auditorium, and then later in the evening from 6 to 7 at the Johnson County Community College's Culinary Theater. And there is no charge. It is sponsored by the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization and underwritten by the JCCC Foundation. 
and the first 50 attendees get a free copy of the book, The Barefoot Spirit. Thank you so much for being here today. What a fun story, and uh, no wonder you were so successful. I can just, even though you've been out of the, the business for some time now, I can still feel uh, the excitement and the fun as you talk about your story. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. We do like to have a good time. <laughs> I hope everybody comes and sees us over there. We'll be having a wonderful time in your town. Yes, on April the 30th, make sure that you come out. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.